Let me say that again. Brought to you by iLand, this is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related on how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand and at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about how to use the cloud to ensure your applications and data have the resiliency your business needs. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm a cloud technologist for iLand and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a resilience group of IT professionals from both sides of the sales table. Let's start with having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what it's important about being resilient in the cloud. Certainly, thanks for uh, inviting me back. I appreciate the chance to kind of talk. My name's Phil Sellers. I am a platform engineering manager for an insurance company based in Charlotte, North Carolina. For me, resiliency in the cloud is really about forethought and planning. All of the tools are there, but it's up to you to use them. My name is Cato Grace. I work for VMware in technical marketing, and I'm focused on Kind of all things availability, so site recovery manager, vSphere application, that kind of thing. And my main thought for resiliency in the cloud is just encouraging people to think about it. I find the the number of people who haven't put any thought into availability is still surprisingly large. Make sure it's uh, something that you're thinking about and that you've put some time and effort into. Hi, this is Will Urban. I'm Technical Product Marketing Manager at iLand. And for me, whether we're talking about resiliency or, you know, as Kate or Phil talked about, a lot of times the words availability, reliability, continuity, they all kind of get intermingled. And it's interesting what different people think about those different phrases and what does it actually mean for not only their business, but their applications or what they consider to be, you know, kind of resilient cloud. So it'd be fun to talk about all that stuff. And it's going to be exciting to hear everybody's comments and thoughts on that. Yeah, those are definitely very tangled up words. So we'll do our best in a short amount of time to cover what we can. But thank you all for joining me. So to start off with, resiliency has always been a difficult topic for business leaders. Spending money on backups and disaster recovery solutions is an investment they never really want to realize, though they always agree that it is necessary to have that investment. Cloud has changed the dynamics of this calculation a bit. The cloud can be used to protect on-premises workloads without the overhead of additional infrastructure. Meanwhile, workloads already hosted in the cloud may or may not have the resiliency baked in that a company needs. So on another episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast, we discussed reliable clouds that are architected to eliminate downtime in the first place. Some, including iLand, provide as high as 100% SLAs. Cato, from your perspective, is there still a need to provide backup and disaster recovery for applications and data in these highly reliable clouds? Yeah, I definitely think you still need to look at backup and DR, even in you know highly available clouds, even with all of the things that you can do with solutions like Amazon, where they do a number of different things that build resiliency into their product. Even with that, you still need to think about backup and DR. You still need to think about what's going to happen, not if, but when there are failures in your environment. So when something goes wrong, how are you going to take care of your data? How are you going to get things back up and running? 
after you have some kind of an issue. In the on-prem as well as in the cloud space, I see a number of customers who still treat not so much backup, but they definitely treat DR as kind of that third or fourth project that they never end up getting to. And it's the kind of thing that it's just a matter of time before that's going to bite you. Yeah, we've seen plenty of examples with ransomware lately of where companies that have been hit with ransomware are very much prepared for it if they have backups in DR and very much not prepared if they don't. Yeah. And my big thing is, it's not to say that you have to spend a huge amount of money on disaster recovery. It's more just having the conversations with your business about it. If all that you have right now is backups, and that's the only thing that you're doing, just make sure that you're having the conversation with your business that tells them, hey, look, in the event that our data center burned down or our cloud provider went away or something like that, you know, cloud provider had a, you know, availability zone loss or something along those lines. In the event of that, here's what our time frame RPO and RTO look like. You know, hey, we're doing daily backups. So our RPO is 24 hours. Our RTO, since we're going to have to either find a new cloud provider or redeploy our stuff into a different availability zone or buy new hardware, whatever that is, our RTO is four weeks. Are you okay with that? And if the business is like, yeah, sure, you know, we don't think anything is going to happen and we're okay if it does that it takes that long, then great. And if they don't, if they say, oh my God, it's going to take us four weeks to get back up and running, you know, we'll be out of business by the end of a week. Okay, well, then maybe it makes some sense to spend some money to figure out a different solution for that. You know, you bring an interesting concept up around risk. It's really a conversation around risk and what's a acceptable amount of risk for a company to accept. With 100% SLA, certainly that's financially backed if there is downtime. But then what's the business impact? What's the risk to the business if you do have a problem, even with a high availability cloud? That's really the conversation I think we should all be focusing on with our business stakeholders is what's the impact and how do we get continuity through a situation And what is our crown jewels? What is our core functionality that we can't survive without? And then what are the nice-to-haves? Because it may not be one level for all. Yeah, and I've been on the vendor side of the house my whole career. And, you know, I started with RAID, and then you had snapshots, and then you had replication, and then you had cloud-based backup and all this stuff. And I think one of the challenges for consumers or the customers is just understanding what are the terms that they're actually being told? You know, what is 100% SLA? What is 99 or five nines availability? What is RAID redundancy? Because I could be a vendor, I could be a cloud vendor, I could be a, a hardware manufacturer, and I can say, you have 17 redundant disks and you will never lose your data blocks. But if ransomware comes along and encrypts all of that highly redundant disks, is my company really available or the hardware manufacturer is going to say, well, look, my system is up and running, but my company is down. If you can't get to your actual data because of an infrastructure issue, or for example, we talk about DRS and HA and all of that stuff from a VMware perspective. And while the VM is up and running somewhere else, it had to reboot. And if it takes 17 minutes to reboot because it's a very long process and then it has to connect to databases, it may be reliable, it may be resilient, but was there impact? And I think as a marketing guy, right, now that I do marketing stuff, I even find myself using the words interchangeably 
And then I have to ask the customer or the end person, well, what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to achieve the fact that the disk drive isn't going to fail? Or are you trying to achieve that your company's business is not going to go down? And I think everyone needs to look at that when they're looking at all these different, what does SLA mean? What does reliable mean? What does resilient mean? What does available mean? Because everyone is going to use the terms differently. Well, and my concern too is in line with what you're talking about there, Will, because if we're not talking apples to apples from a, a nomenclature standpoint, then it leaves us with a misunderstanding. And that's certainly happened for companies and, and different folks within organizations where I've worked. They'll see something like 100% SLA. And to them, that means it's never going to go down. And I think we all know that we're working with equipment, bits and bytes, moving parts. It's still possible for even 100% SLA to go down. There's just going to be some financial terms incurred and payback and that sort of thing. I mean, it's not an actual guarantee that everything's going to stay up forever. It's an SLA. So we do need to be real specific with our stakeholders, whether that's my business units that I'm representing or on your side from a sales organization to your customers, really clear with the language. Because I do think often customers and executives get mixed up in the naming of things and sometimes maybe get a false sense of security for the data and services that they've got from a cloud provider. Yeah, that's a great point. Phil, from your perspective as a customer, how would you recommend customers evaluate the backup and recovery options, if any even exist, at a given cloud provider? So if they're looking at moving into the cloud, what should they be looking for in that space? Well, it really differs between the type of cloud offering that you're talking about. So I'll talk about two very quickly, but I feel like most of the responsibility from an IS standpoint is going to still fall to you as the customer because you've got data running inside of that infrastructure that you know about that your cloud provider is not necessarily going to understand and know very well. So you really need to work closely to make sure that you've got the data portions of your business well protected if you're going with an IaaS type offering. For me, you know, personally, and this is absolutely personal opinion for me, we typically don't lift and shift VMs into the cloud, but we do things that are architected to make the most use of clouds. So things that are created for distributed grid architectures and load balancing and distributed data architectures and things like that. Those are the things that we place into our IaaS offerings because it is built for the architecture the same way that client server was built for that more reliable on-prem architecture of the past. When it comes to SaaS, that's where things get a little more hairy for us because with SaaS offerings, you know, sometimes you're at the mercy of the provider that you're working with. A lot of times, you know, say for Office 365 or Google Apps, the company's got a lot already built in. So you just need to be aware of what's there and what features you can leverage. You know, for a lot of customers, legal hold in Office 365 is sort of their synonymous backup, but it's not backup. There's some sort of trickery sometimes that goes on uh, for people to feel better about it. But just be real clear with kind of your data, because at the end of the day, that's what we all care about as customers is the data that we're out to protect. So, Phil, how important is it for a customer to have the conversation about the expectation of where 
your role as a customer and the role of the cloud provider or the SaaS provider, where that barrier is. And what does that do as far as changing how you look at an offering, whether it's a SaaS offering or anything like that or something along those lines? It's a great question because we walked away from certain agreements because we didn't feel comfortable with the ability of the service provider to offer adequate protection for our systems. You know, not all offerings are created equal. And that's specifically so when you start going into verticals like ours, like insurance. And, you know, some of these service providers, honestly, may be smaller than the company that I'm working for. And so they don't have the resources or the expertise to do some of the protections. So it really is a diligence thing from the customer's perspective to just kind of investigate and make sure that you're having those conversations with the service provider. But I come back to data. At the end of the day, protecting that is kind of the key. And it is a partnership anytime you go into one of these new cloud agreements. And it varies widely. Yeah. Buyer beware. Just like it is with anything else, spend the time, understand what it is and understand what it's going to provide and then match that up along with the, you know, your knowledge of your data and your applications and how they're used, what the business needs. And, you know, if there's gaps, can you fill them? Is there, is there ways to fill them? Are there additional third party products that you could potentially bring in to replicate it somewhere else or create a backup of it to go somewhere else? You know, the Office 365 is a perfect example of that. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes it's nice to pull the ecosystem. You know, do you see other offerings that protect this particular class of data? Office 365 data is a good example of that. You have multiple different service providers. Veeam comes to mind that have an Office 365 data backup product. And that's because what Microsoft offers may not be appropriate or enough for all customers. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things I find that surprises a lot of people is that especially with the resiliency or availability space that a lot of times people don't realize that the actual implementing of a product or a solution is often a tiny fraction of the overall time involved in figuring out the things that we were just talking about the what needs to be protected how does it need to be protected how does it need to be recovered? All of those other things add so much more to that process than just the, I got this product set up or I enabled this service within this cloud. There's so much more to the process than just that. Very much so. So kind of, kind of hitting off of that, you know, is it, in your opinion, kind of going after an architecture type conversation to make sure that you're architecting what you're placing in cloud appropriately? Because I know that that's definitely, I've seen some of that within our organization at this point. Yeah, it's definitely, as with most projects, you know, understanding what is it that you really want to accomplish and then making sure that whatever solution that you're, I mean, picking a solution obviously is part of it. But once you've decided on that, making sure that that solution actually does fit all of the requirements of your project, that you're getting that availability that you're looking for. Yeah, and Cato brings up a really good point because we'll have conversations with people and getting virtual machines or applications or data somewhere else to protect it. That's, I mean, I think we can all agree that's a pretty easy thing to do. But like you were talking about, 
it's, well, now what do I need to do if 50 of my mission critical applications are not available to my users? How do I even begin? Where do I start? Who's impacted? What buttons do I push? How do I automate it? How do I orchestrate it? And you're right. That's the conversation that has to be had before everything goes down. Otherwise, it's just, it doesn't matter if your data is somewhere else safe. If you can't get to it in a reasonable amount of time, you're just as well as not having that data. I know from our perspective, as we've gone through this DR exercise over the last six months or so, we're looking at some new methodologies, cloud-native methodologies of being able to define and reinstantiate our applications as a key component to our DR. If it's in a code repository and replicated and we have the um, definition files for the environment, we feel like that is adequate backup in some cases for our in-house applications. We're looking at shifts in operating methodologies to kind of solve some of our resiliency problems, deploying across geographies and regions and things like that. Yeah, that's a really interesting point there that as as we do things differently out of this old distributed model that we have, we move into some of these newer models around containers and serverless and even cloud-based VMs, sometimes the way of thinking about resiliency has to change or, or should change to be more efficient in the way that we're doing things. Let's kind of look at the other side of the coin. We've been talking about, you know, kind of in the cloud protection, but Will, from your perspective, when considering using the cloud to protect on-premises infrastructure, is cloud backup a good place to start for being able to be able to recover that data center? When does replication, this kind of plays a little bit into what you're talking about, the availability versus resiliency versus all the other terms, I think. Yeah, and I've been doing this for a very long time. And, you know, it was always back in the days when you had on-site tape robot libraries and you had on-site dark fiber between buildings and you were replicating that way. And it really made it so that only a fraction of customers were able to kind of meet their resilience goals that they had. But cloud is, like you said at the very beginning, it's kind of changed the story. And jokingly, we always say, well, if it's in the cloud, it's safe, right? And, you know, we all know that you still have the same challenges that you have. And so I think when customers are looking at making the shift, backup is usually the first thing that they dip their toe into because it doesn't hurt if it goes bad. I mean, it kind of can, but it's not like they're going to put their mission critical applications day one and then everything comes crashing down. So usually they'll dip their toe in and get a little bit of familiarity with it. And I think recently over the last couple of years, we've seen that cost differential shift from you know, I'm an old tape drive guy, right? And robotic tape drives and, you know, DLT drop leaders and all that stuff from way back when. And now you don't have to worry about what kind of hardware do you have and price per tape and how many times you've rotated that tape and where are you storing the tape in the environmental, like all that kind of goes away. And now you just say to yourself, just like I virtualized my data center, I'm just kind of encapsulating and virtualizing my data. And I don't really care about all that other stuff. So I think backup is a very good thing. Um, it gives you some of the terms you'll hear as air-gapped or off-site, the ability to not have to put a tape in your car and drive it home and put it in your safe, you know, that the same protection scheme and concept comes along with it, but now it's somewhere else in the cloud. And again, you're relying on the resiliency and the reliability and availability of that provider. In case you need it, you can come get it. And then like you asked about replication, I, I think replication is a natural tie-in straight into it. And it really comes down to what we've been saying through this whole thing is 
What are the business needs and how quickly do you need to recover? Because backup to the cloud makes a lot of sense when you're just throwing that out there and in six months you're trying to find a file and you can just recover it. Backup to the cloud really doesn't help you when a hurricane comes in and destroys the data center that your equipment is located in or there's a four-day power outage. There's nothing to restore to. It doesn't work, right? And so you've got backup to data, but your business, again, is still impacted. And so replication, disaster recovery, it's a really easy way to tie that same sort of concept of making sure that your information is somewhere safe, but then adding in that little bit of extra, making sure that it can also run somewhere else if you need to. Cloud introduces that cost economy, and it introduces the ability to do some really cool stuff But most people have always thought of it as their fourth or fifth tier project. And when they're worried about putting up Wi-Fi extenders versus protecting their data center, we have some kind of shifting of priorities that we need to do. And and I think that's where cloud can really help is take a lot of that load off the end customer and allow them to reliably move stuff into the cloud, reliably pay for it, and then reliably bring it up if they need to. So obviously, as a cloud vendor, I'm going to say that. But even back when I did DR on site between buildings, man, it was a mess back then. And the advantages of, for example, VMware SRM and some of the other uh, virtualization technologies that have come along that have just simplified the replication and simplified that. And then you add in some orchestration automation on top of it to make it easy to test and to recover and reliably repeat it over and over and over again. It's just put that sort of business continuity and IT resilience in the hands of pretty much anybody now instead of somebody who just has a ton of money. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about that cloud provides is in a disaster, one of the things that often gets missed is the idea of the flexibility of the resources that you're recovering to. And you know what I mean by that is, you know, if you're failing over from on-prem to another on-prem site, you have whatever hardware is at that site. If for some reason you need more, you know, you're talking about buying it, adding it, whatever. In the cloud, you have that ability to often to scale up without having a huge additional CapEx outlay. And also really the more important thing is just from a timing standpoint that you're able to scale up quickly in the event that you have a disaster. So the cloud offers a lot of really cool economics from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, we used to joke that, you know, just take your old hardware and put it in the other building. But then if your primary site goes down, do you really want to rely on that out-of-date, out-of-warranty six-year-old hardware that you threw away because you didn't want it? Like now all of a sudden you're just introducing new problems. And so... I think the ability to reliably and and scalably just come up when you need it and not have to, like you said, you don't have to procure hardware, you don't have to buy more hardware maintenance, you don't have to do with any of that stuff. You just pay for it when you need it, and hopefully you don't need it. But if you do, you know you've tested it, and you know it's resilient, you know it's out there, and it's available for you at a fraction of what that secondary site's going to cost you. I'm going to comment this is at a slightly different angle too, because there's a lot of different types of backup solutions when it goes to cloud and DR solutions. You know, you can go with a white glove provided SaaS offering from a provider, or you can come at this as a DIY kind of thing, you know, forcing your on-prem backups up to a cloud storage and then being able to take and restore from that repository. And for an internal organization who may not have cloud competencies developed, that's a really cool way, easy on-ramp for us to develop that competency and get our feet wet with cloud. 
One of the first things that we looked at kind of as a nod to whoever said it's a low-hanging fruit, it is. And so we had a lot of important lessons learned about mapping our workloads from on-prem to certain instances in the cloud and just scripting and, and figuring out how do we operationalize that whole process. So for a customer that's looking for a, a resiliency play or a cloud play is kind of their first thing backup and DR really makes a lot of sense in my opinion because you're going to get a lot of lessons learned for your organization and for your staff. So Phil as another question to a customer as you progress to new SaaS based offerings where you know you're not in control of any of it and you're still leveraging the data do you foresee a time when now all of a sudden you're going to start taking copies of that SaaS data and putting it on your own site, just in case something happens to the SaaS application? You know, it's interesting. We've not gone that route so far, but, you know, we've got a lot of offerings and stuff that have API integrations to other providers. And what happens when there's an outage to one of your third-party providers or to one of your business associates? Um, what type of failure are you going to have in your systems? You know, it's an interesting question that we have to think about now because we're starting to link our systems more closely together even though we have a real effort to decouple and kind of tear down our monolithic in-house app we also have new challenges as we do that you know with a monolithic application it either all works or it doesn't but with a more distributed model you can have failures in multiple different places. And so it presents some new challenges as you kind of try and take and transport that into the cloud for a DR story. What components can you leave behind? What's necessary? What's core? What's peripheral to your business function? So it certainly takes a lot more planning. But to your question around you know making copies of data, we're definitely down that path for our internal data, not so much for the service providers that we work with externally, but it's on our mind for sure. Yeah, that's a great place to end on, I think. So just to kind of summarize what we've talked about to give everybody kind of a last thought on things, it's important to at least be considering your resiliency, no matter what architecture you're using, because it's the old adage is true. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And even the most highly reliable cloud architectures occasionally have issues that could reduce your availability. So having that resiliency on top of that to protect you and understanding what the business really needs regarding availability is critical. When you look at the actual cloud platforms, pay attention to the SLAs, understand what they really mean, because sometimes they're as much about financial terms as they are about actual availability. So understanding the resiliency that you need to build on top of that is still up to you as an IT practitioner to evaluate the data and the applications that you're going to be putting out in the cloud and understand what the cloud's really providing to you for that and creating the plans that you need on top of that. When you start talking about the on-premises infrastructures, you know, backup is a great place to start using the cloud. It's a good way to learn a lot of lessons with relatively low risk. You know, you're not playing with production data at that point. You're getting the opportunity to get in there and understand how they work and, and what you can do to, to better fit into that cloud model. And ultimately, whichever route you're going to go, consider the fact that implementing a resiliency tool, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, is 
oftentimes pretty small relative to the cost and time you spend figuring out how to implement it in the first place. What are your SLAs for applications and data? What's most important? What's less important? What are the crown jewels and what are the nice to haves, as Cato put it? A lot of thought needs to go into it. So now's the time to do it if you haven't. And make sure you're having those conversations with the business because it can't be done by one group or the other by themselves. With that, let's finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you to Cato, Phil, and Will for a great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information about this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. And if you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on those podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. It's not like you have 17 jobs inside the company, Brian. Gosh. <laughs>